Hey y'all, this is May. Now to welcome you to Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. This season, I'll be discussing murders from the year 1930 through 1939. Today's story is of a male murderer from 1937. So grab you some Whataburger and open that Dr. Pepper. Let's go back in time to Texas true crime. On December 21st, 1937, Walt Disney premiered Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs at the Carthy Circle Theater in Los Angeles, California. It was the very first Technicolor full-length animated English language feature film. That same year, the first hospital blood bank system in the United States was established by Dr. Bernard Fantas. He opened the blood bank in Chicago, Illinois, at the Cook County Hospital. The idea of the blood bank revolutionized medicine and helped to advance modern surgery. Another thing that happened in 1937 was a murder that turned a man into local folklore. Please join me in walking down Erie Lane. Alligator Man, the Butcher of Elmendorf, or the Bluebeard of South Texas, are names you may have heard mentioned in stories being told in Texas. But what is the actual truth to the man, Joe Ball, who is behind these names? And why would Joe Ball, on September 24, 1938, have police so concerned that they would want to take him to the San Antonio Police Department for further questioning. Well, on this day, Joe agreed to go with the officers to San Antonio, but asked if he could first be allowed to have a beer and close down his tavern. The sheriffs agreed, and the three returned to his bar. Joe Ball got a beer, took a few sips, went to his register, opened it, and then pulled out a 45 from under the counter. He waved it at the two officers who yelled, Don't! and went for their own pistols, just as Ball turned his and pointed it at his heart. He pulled the trigger and fell dead on the barroom floor. Joe Ball came from the wealthiest family in a small town called Elmendorf, just 15 minutes outside the San Antonio city limits. The town had been established in 1885 by Henry Elmendorf, who would later become the mayor of San Antonio from 1894 to 1897. Frank X. Ball, Joe's father, was the one who built Elmendorf. This being cotton country, Frank Ball borrowed some money, and built a gin to process the crop. The railroad put a depot in town, and Elmendorf Cotton 
as well as pottery, bricks, and tile made at a local factory, was exported to the rest of the world. Frank Ball was rich. He began buying and selling farms, especially when they got cheap during the Depression. He opened a general store from which he sold everything from caskets to shoes. He built the first stone home in the area, and he and his wife, Elizabeth, had eight children, many of whom became pillars of the community. Frank Jr. Ball, a brother of Joe's, became a school trustee in 1914. Raymond Ball, another of his brothers, opened a new grocery store, which also held the post office. His wife, Jane, was made the postmaster. Joe Ball was the second child in this family. He had a talent with guns and joined the army in 1917 to fight in the Great War. He received his honorable discharge in 1919 and returned to Elmendorf. By the late 20s, the town was thriving with general stores, a hotel, a doctor's office, meat markets, a confectionery, and a couple of cotton gins. As Prohibition settled in during the 20s, Joe became a bootlegger. In the mid-20s, Ball hired a young black man named Clifton Wheeler to help around the house and the business. Wheeler was a handyman, but did a lot more for Ball, including manual labor and a lot of the dirty work. Many have reported that Wheeler lived in fear of Ball. After Prohibition, Ball opened a tavern. In the back were two bedrooms, and up front was a bar, a player piano, and a room with tables where men drank and played cards. Sometimes, Ball would host cockfights, and at one point he even caught some alligators to put in a concrete pool he had behind the tavern. He strung wire 10 feet high around the pool, and it was said that on Saturday nights, any wild animal, possum, cat, dog, or any other animal without an owner, was not safe. When the patrons got drunk and would throw an animal in and watch the alligators do their thing. All hired women, dance hall girls, to wait tables. One of those Ball hired was a woman from Seguin named Minnie Goddard, also known as Big Minnie. The two met in 1934, and Ball had fallen for her. According to a book written on Joe Ball, Big Minnie was a bossy, displeasing, and obnoxious person. But Ball liked her. She even ran the bar with Ball and Wheeler, and had no fear of the drunks. But Ball's eyes started to sway, and at some point, Ball began seeing a barmaid named Dolores Buddy Goodwin, who was 15 years younger than him. One night in the spring of 1937, Ball threw a bottle and hit Buddy in the face, giving her a scar that ran from her eye to her neck. Yet Buddy still fell in love with him. Then there was 22-year-old Hazel Brown from McDade who went by the name Shotzi. She was described as having all confidence and dangerous beauty. Joe Ball also fell in love with her. Shotzi was working at Ball's and was popular with the customers. She and Buddy even became friends. 
but Big Minnie had a problem with Buddy. She didn't like Buddy and wasn't afraid to show it. But maybe she should have hidden her feelings, as she would soon disappear. The summer of 1937, Big Minnie disappeared. When asked, Joe Ball told people that she was pregnant in a Corpus Christi hospital. Others thought that she must have skipped town in a big hurry because she left all of her clothes behind. But no one really thought that much of it, as people came and went a lot during this time. It wasn't until that September that Ball told the truth at least to his new wife, Buddy. After their marriage, he revealed to her his secret, that he had taken Minnie to the beach and killed her, and that she wouldn't make any more trouble for them. Buddy then went and told Shotzi about Minnie's death. In January 1938, Buddy's left arm was cut off in a car wreck. But stories flew around Elmendorf, that Ball's crazed alligators had torn it off, or that Ball had cut it off and fed it to them. In April, Buddy disappeared. And by then, Joe had moved on and was dating Shotzi. But then, she disappeared too. All of this didn't come to the police attention until September 23, 1938, when a foul odor coming from a barrel covered in flies, was noticed by an old man. He approached John Gray, the Bear County deputy sheriff, while he was dove hunting in Elmendorf, and told him of the barrel he found at the back of Joe Ball's sister's barn, and that it smelt like something dead was inside. And because of all the missing women connected to Ball, the next day, Sheriff Gray and Deputy John Clevenhagen drove out to talk to him. They first went to the barn, but the barrel was gone. Then drove to the bar about noon to talk to Ball. He denied knowing anything about it. But when they all returned to the barn, his sister corroborated the old man's story. That was enough evidence for the deputies to take Ball into San Antonio for questioning. This takes us back to the beginning of the episode when I described how Joe Ball killed himself. After Joe Ball committed suicide, four other deputies came into the tavern. They checked the five gators, one large and four small, in the pond, which they noticed was surrounded by rotting meat. They also found an axe matted with blood and hair. Many theories were thrown around at this time. It seemed the most obvious one was that the fearsome drunk had killed and mutilated his wife and other victims and fed them to the alligators. The cops also brought up other disappearances, including two missing barmaids and a 16-year-old boy who hung out at Joe's. But then Wheeler, who you may remember, was Ball's handyman, was taken by sheriffs to San Antonio. And now knowing that Ball was gone, 
He opened up about everything. Wheeler first told of Shotzi about how she had fallen for someone else, one of the bar's customers, a guy who had a home and a good job. She wanted out, but Ball wouldn't hear of it, and when she threatened to tell the police about Big Minnie, he killed her, and he knew where the body was. He took the sheriffs back to Elmendorf, about three miles from town, on a bluff some 300 feet from the San Antonio River, and began to dig. Blood bubbled up in the dirt, and the odor became so unbearable that the people who were watching ran in all different directions to vomit. Wheeler began to pull up body parts. First, two arms. Then, two legs. And finally, a torso. The officers then asked Wheeler where the head was and saw him point in the direction of an old campfire site. After careful sifting, cops found a jawbone, some teeth, and finally, some pieces of the skull of Hazel Shotzi Brown. Wheeler was taken back to the police station, where he explained the night he helped bury Shotzi's body. He told how, after a night of heavy drinking, Ball had asked him to load up the car with blankets and beer. Joe had a saw, an axe, and a post hole digger with him, as well as his pistol. They went to his sister's barn, stopped along the way to drink, and then picked up the 55-gallon iron barrel, which they took to the river. He said that Ball forced him at gunpoint to dig a grave, and they opened the barrel. Out came Shotzi's body. Wheeler refused to help Ball dismember the corpse, so he tried to do it himself. But he got so enraged when one of her hands got in the way of sawing off her head that Wheeler said he reached over and held Brown's hand and then helped further, holding her arms and legs while his boss sawed. They each got sick to their stomachs, so they drank some more beer and then buried the corpse. Then they threw the head, as well as her clothes, on a campfire. As dawn broke, they sat around drinking beer and then drove back to the bar. Wheeler then told the officers what happened to Big Minnie. The previous June in 1937, Ball had told him to pack the Model A coupe and be sure to stow plenty of whiskey and beer. Then Ball took him and Minnie to Ingleside, near Corpus Christi. Ball found a secluded area, and after a little swimming and a lot of drinking, asked Big Minnie to take her clothes off. Wheeler said he made himself scarce, but when Ball called for more whiskey, Wheeler noticed that his boss had his pistol by his side. Ball then pointed off in the distance, and when Minnie turned her head to look, he shot her in the temple. Wheeler expressed to the cops that he was shocked, but that Ball had told him he had no choice. She was pregnant, and he was seeing Buddy. The two then buried her in the sand and drove back to Elmendorf. 
Three days after this confession, the police began digging in the sand four miles southeast of Ingleside. They took heavy machinery and hired local laborers, and with hundreds of onlookers, they began to dig. It wasn't until October 14th that they found the remains of Big Minnie, who had been well-preserved in the deep, cold sand. Thankfully, though, the police had located Buddy in San Diego, where she had fled from Ball and gone to be with her sister. Two weeks later, deputies Kelvin Hagen and Gray brought her to San Antonio. On the way, they stopped in Phoenix and found one of the women who had been listed as missing from the tavern. But he later told police that Wheeler had told her that Chotzi, on her last night on Earth, had accused Ball of killing Buddy, just as he had killed Big Minnie, because she didn't know Buddy was in San Diego. Shotzi badgered Ball until he flew into a rage. Then Buddy stated, After a while, Joe hit her with his pistol, and I reckon that killed her. He had shot her too, just to make sure. After everything, the alligators went to the San Antonio Zoo, and Wheeler received two years in jail as an accessory. The town of Elmendorf continued on and was incorporated in 1963, with its first mayor being Raymond Ball, Joe's brother. Since 1973, the oldest and largest church in the town, St. Anthony of Pada Catholic Church, a program was started where Mrs. Michael Ball was the first manager. On weekday mornings inside the parish hall, a crowd of elderly people from the area go to hang out with friends and eat a free lunch provided by the Texas Department on Aging in the city of San Antonio. Some play Mexican train dominoes, while others spend their time visiting. It wasn't until 1999 that the town got water lines laid, and at that time, sewer lines were still in the works. Some of the commerce, restaurants, gas stations, antique stores had been carried out on US-181, which leads Elmendorf to be secluded from the rest of the world. Out behind the church is a large graveyard. Joe Balls is the first grave you see when you walk in the gate from the church, right next to his father, Frank X. Ball. There's still a lot of folklore surrounding Joe Ball, all starting from when the bodies of Big Minnie and Chotzi were found, and the pulp press seemed to have a lot to do with it. True Detective, a monthly magazine of sordid true crime, found Ball's story extremely interesting and wouldn't let it go, often the authors embellishing the story. They often return to this story describing the murderous ladies' man and bringing about ideas of the dozens of hapless ladies, unborn children, mutilation, kitties and puppies, and of course, the infamous alligators that were starved 
for human flesh. One of the original officers who worked the case once called into the magazine and asked, Where do you get these stories? And according to his son, Elton Q. Jr., who wrote a legitimate book about Joe Ball, said that one of the stories described his dad as the roughest, toughest, manhandling deputy sheriff in Bear County history. Yet he explained, His dad wasn't like that, though he did throw some drunks out of a bar occasionally. Bucky, Joe's nephew, told in an interview about how his Aunt Madeline, Joe's sister, sued True Detective several times for their imaginative versions of Uncle Joe. I don't know if she ever collected, Bucky said, but she didn't need the money. Other pulp magazines picked up the distorted story, and so did books like the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers and America's Most Vicious Criminals. Eventually, the tale made its way to websites where anyone can write history. So the hype has kept building, and the mistakes are repeating, which has led the world to believe Joe Ball to be the Alligator Man, the Butcher of Elmendorf, and the Bluebeard of South Texas. I want to say a huge thank you to newspapers.com, Michael Hall and his 2002 article from Texas Monthly, and all the other great resources that helped me get all the information for this episode. I'll put a link to their work in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. Next episode, I'll be detailing a case from the year 1938. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to my Patreon to hear an episode from me every week. I would also love for you to hit the subscribe button and for you to rate and review my podcast on iTunes, as it really does help out. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at crimesofadecade at gmail.com.